0: When William Tyndale was being led to the stake in 1536, hounded, eventually betrayed by a supposed friend, hunted across Europe, he prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. The King of England, of course, was pursuing Tyndale because Tyndale was illegally translating Scripture into the English language, the vulgar tongue of the English language. In being burned at the stake, Tyndale followed in a long line of many, going all the way back to the disciples, to Christ himself, and to the prophets before them, for being spokesmen for the word of God. And the world, the flesh, and the devil, all, all, hate truth and hate God's people and are set against the Anointed One and the people of God. As we come to Psalm 3 today, the first psalm that flows out of the introductory psalms of Psalm 1 and 2, we find the theme of Psalm 2 being fleshed out in living color. Psalm 3 is the first illustration of the wicked plots described in Psalm 2. Remember in Psalm 2, it talks about how the, the wicked plot or meditate, that same word used in Psalm 1, meditate on the destruction of the anointed one, of God's anointed one. And now, here in Psalm three, in this first psalm that flows after the introduction, we find this theme. It's a theme that speaks of fear, of rest, and of God, who is the jawbreaker. I use this this phrase "jawbreaker," coming from what we read about in verses in verse seven, that God will crush the bones, the teeth, the jaw of the wicked. So growing up, we had these things called jawbreakers, which was this like big, hard candy, and you could break your teeth. That's not the kind of jawbreaker we're talking about today. We're talking about the one who will, with, his, with a blow, crush the jaw of the wicked, neutralize them. And what we find in Psalm 3, in the midst of this theme of fear, of faith, of hope, of the wicked plotting against the people of God, and specifically David here, is that we can sleep deeply in God's providence. We can rest in the jawbreaker because we have a bodyguard. We have a defender who will always be there for God's people. So David writes, as we find, as we, as we come to Psalm 3, in memory of, the, of an experience of Absalom, his own son, seeking to kill him. So the first psalm of David actually features the treachery of his own son, seeking his death. And now David is writing in reflection on that experience, Psalm 3. And it's interesting in the composition of the Psalter that this is the first psalm of David that we're given after the introductory, the theme of treachery. And what should we do in light of God's people? How should we think about the treachery and the treason and the hatred that the world will show God's people as the world has shown and as will continue to show till our Lord returns? Like I said, we'll see how God breaks the jaw of the wicked and how we can rest in God's sovereign protection. and Therefore, we have no need to fear. Psalm 3, before we get into it, just speaking of the structure, is in the form of a chiasm. Again, this envelope structure. So we have five sections in Psalm 3. And the first deals with salvation. The second deals with prayer. The third or the peak of the chiasm deals with rest. And then moves back to prayer and then to salvation. So salvation, prayer, rest, prayer, rest salvation. And I won't explicitly draw this chiastic structure out again, so you can just make note of it now if you like. Salvation, prayer, rest, prayer, salvation. The emphasis is going to be on rest. In the midst of this treachery and wickedness, David finds rest, and it's a rest that we can find as well. So we'll study these five sections briefly in turn. So let's begin with number one verses 1 and 2, see that the wicked plot to overwhelm us with doubt. The wicked plot to overwhelm us with doubt. The chief plot of the wicked is to make us doubt God's saving love and power. To make us doubt what we believe and doubt that God will really forgive. Maybe doubt that God's even there at all. That is the chief plot of the wicked to make us doubt, even as the devil in the garden caused Adam and Eve to doubt in God's promise to them. David writes in verses 1 and 2, O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. You know, in other words, many are saying, of my person, there is no salvation for him in God. We are told that uh, in uh, verse 1 that this psalm and the title is about Absalom's treachery, when David fled from Absalom. And so the title uh, calls us to remember that story that we read about in 2 Samuel, verses all the way back in 13. Uh, in the chapters that follow after. Remember uh, Ammon and Tamar and uh, how Absalom's sister Tamar was raped and Absalom was furious that David didn't do more to deal with it. And flowing out of that bitterness grew this jealousy and this hatred that led eventually to treachery where Absalom sought to kill his own father. And to take over the kingdom. One of the ways that he did that was by befriending those around David and those in the city. And he began to judge their cases rather than David. And we're told in 2 Samuel 15.6 that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom came in as a nice guy seeking to help the people of Israel But his plan was to steal the heart of the people away from his own father. As David needs to flee the city, as Absalom kicks off this rebellion, he's fleeing. And not only does Absalom steal the heart of the people, but Shammai curses David on his way out. So now David is not just experiencing the treachery of a son, but Shammai from the tribe of Benjamin, related to Saul, is cursing David on the way out, saying, Get out, get out, you man of blood, worthless man. While David is fleeing Ahithophel, David's own counselor, one-time counselor, called for 12,000 soldiers to strike down David. We read about that in 2 Samuel 17. David literally felt that the whole nation was set against him. And so he cries out to the Lord, How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. He's being hounded to death by his own blood kin and being cursed by the people of Israel. You know, as we reflect on David's experience, which I think is also given for us, it's amazing how the kingdom of darkness wars against the church. How many are our foes? How many are our foes? The world, the flesh, and the devil all militate against us as the people of God. The world says, come, enjoy fellowship with us. There's so many more of us. Come fellowship with us and all will be easy. Your work will be easy. Your fame will, be, will abound. You will be loved by all. Come and join us. Our flesh says, give in to your natural desires. Listen to that little voice in your, in your heart. Sin is so good. Enjoy it. Do what you feel like doing. And the devil says, as he did to Jesus, I can give you more than God. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. I can give you more pleasures than God. Come into my kingdom. And I'll give you your deepest heart's desires. And Satan representing this whole world, this whole system This whole kingdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil is the father of lies. To make us doubt God's goodness, to make us doubt that God's way is truly better, to make us doubt that God will fulfill his promises to save us. You know, it's been a long time since Jesus came, right? It's been a long time. Is this all a fairy tale? Are we wasting our time coming and gathering on the Lord's day together? Surely there's better things we could be doing. That's what the father of lies, who works through the world and the flesh, whispers in our ears to dupe us, to make us question the goodness of God and the coming salvation. Nicholas, uh, our brother, uh, isn't here this morning. I think he's on some more ministerial duties with his schooling. But uh, I didn't ask him, but I think he'd be okay with sharing this illustration of his. When, when Nicholas was an atheist, before he became a Christian, he, he took pride and joy in deconverting Christians. So him and his friend would go around and try to get Christians to stop believing in God. That was what our brother, who God mercifully saved, used to do. And that's the whole system, isn't it? The advertisements you see that seem nebulous on TV, the banners, the parades, the things celebrated in academia and in the workplace, they're all subtly eroding the foundation of Christ. And they want They want us to go along the wicked plot to overwhelm us with doubt. And it can feel overwhelming. And we can certainly say with David, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Well, Let's turn then to how David responds to this experience. And our second point, see that God is our shield when we call on him. God is our shield When we call on him, we see this in verses 3 and 4, where David shows us that God answers our prayers and brings us deliverance. He says in verse 3 and 4, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. In verses 3 and 4, Knowing that this is about Absalom and David, we read and understand that David is speaking about how God crushed Absalom's rebellion. God crushed Absalom's rebellion. We, we learn in 2 Samuel uh, that his, Absalom's beauty apparently had this full, luscious hair. That his beauty was his undoing. And as Absalom is fleeing from the battle, his hair gets caught in the branches of an oak tree and he's hanging there like a sitting duck. And Joab, the commander of David's uh, army, or I should say the former by this time, commander of David's army, thrust three javelins into the heart of Absalom. He's standing there looking at Absalom hung in the air. And he thrusts three javelins into his heart. And then Joab's ten armor bearers gather around Absalom and strike him down and kill him. God crushed Absalom's rebellion there and then. Then afterwards, the men of Judah call King David to return to Jerusalem. In response to this event in hindsight David writes in this psalm God is a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. God heard David cry and answered from the heavenly Zion. He answered me from his holy hill. We see here that God is the the lifter and the glorifier of his people. I think of when the saints are crying out under the altar in Revelation 6. We have this image of the prayers of God's people as the souls of the saints under the altar. We have this word picture in Revelation. And they're crying out as David cried out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? On those who dwell on the Earth, and then they were give, each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The reality is, is that many times God's people die and get killed by wicked people in the here and now. But even in that, God is our shield. Even in that, God is our shield. Even for the souls of the martyrs, we share in the same promise that Paul talks about in Colossians 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Indeed, every Christian will be vindicated before the wicked on the day of judgment. And it will be seen in light of the lake of fire and the judgment to come that God is our shield and that he's the lifter of our head. All the shame you experience in this world will be no more and you will be vindicated in Christ before even your darkest and deepest enemy on this planet. You will share with Christ in glory. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. He hears the prayers of his saints as he sits in heavenly Zion and will protect us. Let's now look at the third part of this psalm and see that though the world be against us, we can rest without fear. Though the world be against us, we can rest without fear. The heart of this psalm deals with rest. And it's interesting that, as you will see next week when Gideon preaches Psalm 4, Psalm 4 is also about rest. That actually flowing out of Psalm 1 and 2 with the way things ought to be, and as Psalm 3 and 4 show, the world is not the way it ought to be. It's interesting that the theme of rest is coupled together in Psalm 3 and 4. And in the center of this chiasm, we see David sleeping soundly while the heathens are pounding on the door, as it were. David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. As David flees he knows that there is an antidote to fear. There's an antidote to anxiety. Do you know what that is? It's a trust in God's sovereign, providential care. The way to sleep well at night, like a baby, is to trust in God's sovereign, providential care. And we see this worked out as David is fleeing the city while his, li- his life is in imminent peril. In 2 Samuel fifteen twenty five, we read, Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord... He will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good. David had perfect peace fleeing for his life, knowing that whatever happened to him was in God's hand. Right? Whatever happened to him was in God's hand. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he says, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let it him, that is God, do to me what seems good to him. David also rested in God's sovereign will as Shimei cursed him. Remember, those, those with David are like, do you want me to kill him for cursing you? David says, No. Second Samuel sixteen eleven And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Even while David, who does not deserve to be cursed, is being cursed, he acknowledges that God is causing it to happen for his own good. And so he can sleep in peace. He can rest in peace. David rested in God's sovereign will as he fled for his life from Absalom. And he rested in God's sovereign will as Shimei cursed him. Indeed, After David goes on, Shimei continues to curse and to stone him, and to throw dirt on him. And David rests in God's sovereign will, saying, "The Lord has told him to do it, so let him do it." How would your sleep change if, on the one hand, when calamity happens to you, whether you deserve it or not, you say, "This is from the Lord"? And I will trust that he will bring good out of it. And on the other hand, you can say whatever happens, it's in God's sovereign will. How would you sleep differently at night if you embrace David's way of thinking? This is why he can rest in God's providential care. It's why he says in Psalm 3, 5, and 6, I lay down and slept... I woke again, for the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Wouldn't it be lovely to sleep that way? You know, we have enemies. We all do, don't we? We have people speaking against us. We have people speaking against our church for believing sound doctrine right now, actively writing about us. It's nice to sleep well at night, and the only way we can is to trust in God's sovereign grace, even when the worst things seem to be happening. Jesus told his disciples as he was sending them out on mission. Remember when Jesus in John 10, he's sending his disciples out, and then he gives them kind of a pep talk. In John 10, 28, he tells them, Your hairs are numbered, every one of them. God could walk around and say, Penny has this many hairs on her head. Harper has this many hairs on her head. Mariah has this many. Nora has this many hairs. Owen has this many. God knows even that. He knows when the little poor bird flies into the glass and dies on your deck. And Jesus says, as his disciples are being sent out to the wolves to bear witness to him, Fear not, you are worth more, far more than many sparrows. Moreover, even in death, whether we die naturally or we die from horrific causes or evil causes, we sleep in the hope of the resurrection. Paul tells the church at Thessalonia. Thessalonica, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Friends, people will do all sorts of unkind things to us but we can rest in peace every night when we rest in God's sovereign providential care for us. That's the heart of this psalm, and we must grasp that. And as we turn to the fourth point, the reason we can also rest in God's sovereign providential care, sleep deeply, is because God silences the wicked. Verse 7, that's the fourth point. God silences the wicked. We see in verse 7 that God is the the bone crusher. God is the jawbreaker who will crush Satan under our feet. David cries out in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Verse 7, as we're rounding the, the chiasm and coming back around to the theme of prayer again, verse 7 reflects David's cry in verse 3. Okay? It reflects the nature of the cry of verse 3. <clears throat> and as we continue in Absalom's rebellion and that narrative in 2 Samuel, it's interesting that God literally silenced the enemy. We read in 2 Samuel 17 how God thwarts the wise counsel of Ahithophel. So there's a guy named Ahithophel who was David's counselor. So the kings would have these counselors who would advise them in times of peace or war or strategy what to do with the the kingdom. And Ahithophel was a man to be feared, his wisdom was profound. And David knew it and in second Samuel 17 Ahithophel calls for a blitzkrieg Ahithophel tells Absalom call up 12,000 men let me call up 12,000 men right now to go down and put David down but God uses Hushai another one of these counselors to save David and to turn the counsel of Ahithophel against him. And because Absalom ends up listening to Hushai, David is given time and allowed to flee for his life, and he saved himself. Ahithophel, in his wisdom, knowing that his neck is going to be cut off or he'll be hung, he's going to be executed when David comes back into town goes to his house sets it in order and hangs himself the wise man and the spokesman for what the kingdom of god ought to do who turned against the anointed was silenced by god we read in second samuel 17:23 when ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. God is the jawbreaker, the bone crusher, the enemy neutralizer, the destroyer of all evil. When David says to God, you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked, he's invoking the image of the predator who is neutralized when his teeth are crushed. You, know, you pull the fangs out of a predator. You declaw them. You render them neutral in terms of a threat. They're silence. Indeed, a predator cannot survive without his teeth. And so not only does it silence or neutralize the predator, but it languishes and dies without those teeth. God will crush the teeth of his enemies. In other words, he will destroy them, annihilate them. God will turn the counsel of the wicked against them. He will bring all his enemies to ruin. So as we we reflect on this for today, from Judas to Hitler, from Muammar Gaddafi to the devil himself, Theirs is a violent end, and it is God's doing. Paul tells the church at Rome, vengeance is God's. He will repay. He tells the church at Rome, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under the feet of the church, under our feet. And with respect to Psalm 2 with Christ, we will crush our enemies with a rod of iron. And again, as Gideon showed us from Psalm 2 last week, that we will participate with Christ in the destruction of the enemies of God. We read in Revelation 2, To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. The people of faith will be the bone crushers with Christ on the last day. And the kingdom of darkness with all its inhabitants shall be thrown into the lake of fire. We read in Revelation twenty fifteen, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I want to pause here just for a moment and I hope that each one of us can rejoice in this. I hope that as we sing Psalm 3 we don't cringe when we get to, oh that, that's the broken teeth part. We cringe. Because if we cannot rejoice in that, we do not have a true sense of goodness and justice. If we cannot rejoice in God as the bone crusher, the jawbreaker. We don't have a true sense of goodness and justice. Indeed, someone who cringes at this may not, in fact, actually belong to God's people because God's people rejoice over the destruction of evil. Right? If, if our heart is so averse to singing about the destruction of evil. It may be we're actually part of that kingdom of evil. Even if we're sitting in one of these chairs. Because we see the saints rejoicing at the destruction of evil in Psalm 3. And we see the saints rejoicing in the destruction of evil in a place like Revelation 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So this is my fear for those who cringe when we sing a psalm, like Psalm 3, we should long to see the enemy crushed to the ground. We ought to rejoice in it. The ground of true righteousness is God's justice. Right? The ground of true goodness is God's justice. Indeed, we can't even understand the gospel if we don't understand the justice of God So we should pray with the psalmist, break the teeth of the wicked. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't love our enemies and pray for those who curse us because that's our call now. But we have every right and every obligation to pray that God would break the teeth of the wicked when we see evil lauded in culture, and when we see fools rally against Christ and his church. Finally then, the last point in Psalm 3C, the blessing is ours for salvation belongs to the Lord. The blessing is ours for salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3 ends with David interceding, For the people of God. Preaching and then petitioning. Preaching and petitioning. And he preaches to us. That salvation belongs to the Lord. Your deliverance from every foe. The foe that haunts you from within and without. Deliverance is from the Lord. And then he turns to a petition for us. And says to God. Your blessing be on your people. Your blessing be on your people. And David's function as king, he preaches the gospel. Doesn't he? He preaches the good news. Salvation belongs to God. And in preaching the gospel, he petitions God for that gospel blessing to be on us. Likewise, our ultimate king and great high priest petitioned God for our protection too. So I had Gideon, read John 17 to us for the scripture reading this morning. Remember what Jesus says in John 17:15. I do not ask, as he's speaking to the Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's praying for protection from the wicked, from Satan himself. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you had given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And it's interesting, and I guess Jesus can do this, because not only is he man, he's also fully God. Jesus is going to answer his own prayer. Jesus will answer his own prayer. He will come again and bring about the kingdom, and the last enemy shall be destroyed. Remember what Paul says to the Church of Corinth, First Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive, but each in its own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death so i want you to go home tonight and sleep deeply because you are resting in god's sovereign providential care for you as his people right knowing as david preaches to us here salvation comes from the lord he will crush every foe so find Rest and peaceful slumber in your God who is the Jawbreaker. Let's pray.